0: Did you know Rob Farrell's Leading Saints podcast interview has over 100,000 downloads? Yeah, it seemed everyone loved it. After that interview, we actually invited Rob Farrell to a Leading Saints live event and told him he could take as much time as he wanted. Well, he ended up teaching for four plus hours and don't worry, we recorded it. It's all part of the Leading Saints Core Leader Library and we want you to watch it at no cost. Simply go to LeadingSaints.org slash 14 and you can gain access to not only Rob Farrell's four hour presentation, but also to 100 plus hours of all other leadership related content that we have in the core leader library. You're going to love it. So simply visit LeadingSaints.org slash 14 and get started. My name is Kurt Francom, and I am the founder and executive director of Leading Saints and obviously the host of the Leading Saints podcast. Now, I started Leading Saints back in 2010. It was just a hobby blog, and it grew from there. By the time uh, 2014 came around, we started the podcast, and that's really when it got some uh, traction and took off. Uh, 2016, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we've been growing ever since. And Now, I get the opportunity of an of interviewing and talking with remarkable people all over the world. Now, this is a segment we do on the Leading Saints podcast called How I Lead. And we reach out to everyday leaders. They're not experts, gurus, authors, PhDs. They're just everyday leaders who've been asked to serve in a specific leadership calling. And we simply ask them, How is it that you lead and they go through some remarkable principles that should be in a book that should be behind a phd they're uh, they're usually that good and uh, we just talk about uh, sharing what the other guy is doing and i remember being a leader just simply wanting to know okay i know what i'm trying to do but what's the other guy doing what's working for him and so that's why every wednesday or so we publish these how i lead segments to share Headed to uh, Ukraine virtually here uh, with uh, Pavel and, and Pavel. You'll have to tell me how to pronounce your last name again,
1: Mikhailovsky.
0: Mikhailovsky. I probably that'll probably be the last time I say it, just because I'll <laughs> I'll uh, mispronounce it over and over again. But uh, you are uh, born and raised in Ukraine. Yes. Nice. And you are currently the stake president uh, in 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 uh, what city of Ukraine are you in?
1: So the stake is called Harkiv, Ukraine stake, and the stake has, um, it includes six big cities and I'm in a city called uh, Dnipro. This is where uh, it, the main head office of the stake is, and this is where I'm, I'm nice. residing.
0: Nice. And how many, I mean, maybe you don't know the exact number. How many stakes are there in, in Ukraine?
1: Only two. It's okay. Kiev stake and Harkiv stake.
0: Okay, and so how far away are
1: you from Kiev? Um, probably five hours driving by car. It's like okay. five hundred kilometers or nice four hundred miles. And that's where the closest temple is, right? Yes, nice.
0: So obviously, you know, at, at this time in we're in December of twenty twenty two, and all eyes of the world seem to be on Ukraine with the the all the the war happening there and and whatnot. I mean, what uh, what can you tell us as far as what's the current state of life like right now in December of 2022 for a Ukrainian?
1: Mm-hmm. So it really depends on where you live, uh, because the war uh, mostly uh, actual the actual battlefield mm-hmm. uh, is on the eastern and eastern southern part of Ukraine. The western part, the central part, north part is is safe, maybe not the north part by Kiev, where it's close to Belarus, which is also our enemy because mm. they support Russia and they provide the territory to Russian um, forces to shoot rockets, launch rockets. Um, wow. So we, we consider them as our um, up enemies as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So the safest part is Western Ukraine, a little bit of the South. Um so it, it really depends on where you live. I live close to the eastern part of the of Ukraine, close to Donetsk, maybe you've heard this region, city which is like the most um dramatic uh yeah. uh scenario right there. Uh, yeah there is right now because um it's all happened there in back in two thousand fourteen. So Generally speaking, it depends on where you live. Um, my city is quite big. It's over, uh, 1 million people live here. Hmm. It's, um, third biggest city in Ukraine. And, um, basically here it's fine. We live regular, normal life. We drive cars, we go to the cinema, we eat food. We go to the grocery stores and... Schools are online. kindergartens Gardens are working. So basically it's like normal life that we had before the war, but with some small sign of, um, I don't know, the war. Cause sometimes every other day, uh, Russian troops, they launch rockets, um, into the city. Hmm. So we have to hide in the basement or in the bomb shelter somewhere. So we have to adjust our life according to this, um, dramatic, um, situation. If wow. we're talking about Western part of Ukraine, like Lviv, which is the closest biggest city to Poland, to the border with Poland. It's almost like nothing has gone on there uh, again, besides the rockets, but the life is much easier up there because people don't feel this burden of the war, like the cities or countryside that, uh, is close to the actual battlefield. Uh, um, part yeah. of the war, uh, part of Ukraine. Wow.
0: <laughs> so when well, I'll, I'll, Ask some more questions as far as just uh, leading in the church and whatnot, but let's, uh, you know, during a time of, of war like this for your country, but uh, let's go back to just put you into context a little bit, uh, because those that aren't seeing the video uh, interview of, of this, uh, you know, in Utah and in the United States, the stake presidents generally, you know, got a little gray hair and, and an <laughs> elderly statesman maybe, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you're a young guy. How old are you? I'm 29 currently. 29. Wow. And so you where did you serve your mission?
1: Uh, in my city, in Dnipro. Nice. Uh, yeah, so it was a little bit different. Uh, I was called as a full-time missionary in 2014. Mm-hmm. And when the war just started, so um, originally I'm from a city called Kharkiv, which is 40 kilometers away from the border with Russia. Um, the city is part of Kharkiv State right now. This is the re- the original um, name of the stake, Kharkiv stake. This is where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. So I was born in Kharkiv and my city was part of Donetsk mission, which is the uh, Donetsk region is occupied by Russians since 2014. So when I uh, uh, applied my documents for, uh, to become a full-time missionary, um, I applied my documents through the Donetsk mission that time. And when I got my mission call, that part of Ukraine was already occupied. So I have to transfer uh, my documents to Kiev Stake and I was called from Kiev Stake to Dnieper mission, which at that time was another mission. So I kind of I was called to serve in neighbor mission. And so after that Uh, I went there and I served two years in this area and ended up staying, living here after my mission. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Nice.
0: I served here. So you're not originally from this area, but uh, you got called to serve as a missionary there and then then shortly after your mission went back to live
1: there. Uh, Yeah. So my original city, Kharkiv, is only 150 kilometers away from Dnipro. So it's very close cities and my grandmother, she lives here. So my entire life, I traveled here to visit her. Uh, and so basically I am familiar with the city, but yeah, I was called to serve here.
0: Interesting. Nice. And, uh,
1: born and raised in the church. Um, I wasn't born in church. I was raised at church. So my family, uh, met me when I was three in 1996 and since that time basically i go to church so oh, wow. kind of yeah born in church
0: Yeah, from your early memories for sure <laughs> yes so, yes interesting and um is it pretty typical for i mean did most were the majority of the missionaries in your mission are were they ukrainian
1: no no oh, and okay. i started my mission for from 2014 to 2016. We had quite a bit of Ukrainian missions, but, um, I would say 80% of them were foreigners from the mm. United States, from England, Australia, yeah. Europe. So,
0: yeah. And, and now, uh, in the state of the, the war and whatnot, do you have any missionaries at all there?
1: We do have, um, only Ukrainian missionaries who are currently residing in the very Western city in Ukraine. It's like two kilometers away from the border with Poland. Mm -hmm. It's like super far from the war and they serve a mission there. So we have, if I'm not mistaken, six elders and two sisters, Uh, they do their service through zoom online, Hmm. basically they teach people online. So, but they do not leave the city because it's safe there.
0: So in, in your stake, or when you go to church on Sunday, you did, you, you're you not seeing missionaries just showing up to sacrament meeting or things
1: like that? No. We did not see full-time missions since, I think, middle of the COVID era wow. period. So it's like yeah. several years. <laughs>
0: yeah. Do right. you, uh, are, are missionary lessons still happening within your stake? I mean, are, are members just taking over with that? That responsibility? Or?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. So the couple of elders who are assigned to serve in Kharkiv Stake, um, they have the lessons, um, through zoom. They teach people we have baptisms and not as often as before the war or before COVID period, but yeah, everything is the usual Everything is normal, Yeah, but through zoom basically yeah yeah
0: interesting And so where did you learn english just in school growing up or
1: oh uh, yeah yeah okay. so english it's a um, like a mandatory language for all ukrainian schools mm-hmm. english or french or german so i grew up learning english at school then at church with the missionaries then on my mission so um, just throughout my life, this is just just nice, like it is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool, awesome um,
0: so tell us a story, so you come from your mission and then you're called into the the uh, the mission presidency was that i mean, and at that point you
1: were i mean how old were you at that point? Oh, let me count so. I finished my mission in July, 2016. And that point I was 23. Then I got married, uh, to my, my wife. She's from Dnipro from this city. This is why I stayed here. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I got married and I was called maybe after four months of being uh, married. So after eight months, after my mission, I was called to be second counselor in the mission presidency Wow! my former mission president.
0: Oh, that's cool. Okay. So your mission president knew you, um, is familiar with your leadership ability and whatnot, but I I imagine that come as a surprise. Um, yeah, yeah. It was a big surprise. (laughs) Uh, I mean, what, how, what, how old was the other counselor at the time that you were serving? (laughs)
1: As <laughs> a counselor was sixty-nine. Oh, okay. A <laughs> few years older.
0: Huh? That, wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then was uh was your mission president was he from United States or was he Ukrainian? No, he was from
1: Utah. Oh, from Utah? Okay. What, yeah, when, yeah. what's his name? Uh President Sullivan, Paul Sullivan. Oh nice.
0: And and how long did you serve in that role?
1: Oof, it's a good question. Um, probably six or seven months, and okay. after that, I was called as a branch president. Okay, in Nipro.
0: Nice. Was there anything specific that you um, uh, that you learned from that experience of being in the the mission presidency, or was it sort of did it feel like an extension of your your full time mission?
1: Um. I've learned a lot of different things. Um, for example, like uh, participating in the disciplinary councils, hmm. uh, dealing with hard cases of apostasy, um, of breaking the law of chastity. So, I found um, some. I it's a it's a hard question. Spiritually, it was a really good moment of learning from, um, senior brothers, like Uh mission president and the first counselor. Um, so, but overall it was a good experience because, um, when you just go to church and you don't serve in, let's say high callings Oh, yeah, we don't have high callings at church, but let's say in the callings that, um, requires a lot of responsibilities. When you don't serve in such callings, you don't see a lot and you don't know a lot about the members of the church. You don't know about their sins. You don't know about their mental conditions, their financial conditions. So just go to church and that's it. You meet there. Okay. You spend some time together and then you go back home. But when you serve in leadership position, you have to deal a lot with Um, to people, you know, a lot of, you know, everything about them, about the worthiness, about their beliefs. And so, um, I just saw people from a different angle and how hard, uh, the life is in the church sometimes from the leadership position point of view. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. overall, it was a great experience. It was a good preparation for being a branch president.
0: I bet, I bet. So maybe just tell us about your branch there. and I imagine it's still, uh, that branch still exists or, uh, yeah, and it's yeah. in your state, right?
1: Yes, yes. Cool. So, yeah. So right now we have five words and five branches in the stake. So uh, my branch became a word right now so it's quite big and it's still operating um so yeah nice um
0: and maybe just tell us about uh, your your branch in general like how many people typically attend on on uh, sunday What uh, is it difficult filling callings
1: or i mean what how would you describe your your branch for for others um, are we talking about right now, or when I was a branch president? Uh,
0: uh, maybe as when you were a branch president.
1: When I was a branch president. The usual tendency number was maybe 60, 70 people, sometimes up to hundred, which is quite a lot for Ukraine um, compared to Utah branches. Yeah, <laughs> <Like> sure. <laughs> Utah words. <laughs> um, right now, a lot of people left due to the war. A lot of people got married, moved out of the city. So right now the usual attendance maybe is 45, 50 people, um, majority of the young adults and teenagers, basically young people, they left, uh, due to the war, um, they moved to other countries to the safer place. Yeah, so I would say seventy percent of the wards right now is senior people who are not really willing to move out. Yeah, because the life is here for yeah. them.
0: So I mean, even though you're maybe not in the center of the battle zone of, for the this war, you still had a lot of families that moved out of your your stake
1: because of this the the recent invasion and whatnot. Yes, yes, because Kharkiv State um, has, as I mentioned before, six big cities. And three of those are um, super close to the border with Russia. And um, so people have to leave. People have to evacuate their families because my uh, native city, uh, Kharkiv, where uh, I spent my childhood, where I grew up, um, uh, it's the second biggest city I- in Ukraine, and it had o- almost two or three million people before the war. But right now, maybe forty percent of the city doesn't exist anymore, like literally, like wow. buildings are destroyed, and a um, pe- lot of people died. So a lot of uh, military weapons uh, are in the city so we kicked out the russian forces um from kharkiv to the border with russia so uh, the city was never occupied by the russian forces russian troops but still um it on daily basis um the city is attacked by russians Wow. scissors through small um small rockets like they shoot from the tanks that like fly like 30 40 kilometers uh-huh. or like huge missiles that like the flight distance is like a few thousand kilometers so wow. um, this city is attacked on a daily basis wow um
0: and that's in your stake right yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so some wards and branches in your stake are, are definitely closer to, or in the war
1: zone, and and that yes. resulted in them moving out, right? And the biggest miracle is that uh, the biggest amount of members, active members of the church, uh, are in Kharkiv right now. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Yes. People still live there. So. Wow.
0: Yeah. Um. So you served as branch president for for how many years? Almost three. Okay. And then, um, and and during that time, I mean, do do you have a, for your branch, do you have a a church-owned ward building or did you meet somewhere else uh, for church?
1: For some of the wards or branches, we usually rent buildings, Uh uh, which is quite common for Ukraine because uh, the church is not that big to All build, right. uh, like our own, uh, many houses. Um, but, um, in a lot of cities of Ukraine in, in Kharkiv state, uh, we have our own church, bu- church buildings. Mm-hmm. So the branch, uh, where I was a branch president, um, it has a uh, big, nice church building. So it's our property and we use it for two branches. Nice, awesome. Uh, I mean, two branches use it as a meeting house. Yeah.
0: Um, so tell us the story of you being called as uh, the stake president.
1: <laughs> it's an interesting story. So um, let me think where to start. Um, <laughs> let me tell you first about the creation of the stake actually. how. Okay how we got um, the idea of state creation. So, um, back in 2019, uh, the mission president, uh, it wasn't uh, the Paul Sullivan, uh, after, it was another mission president that came up after him, uh, President He He's actually related to Uh, Apostle uh, Borslin. Uh So I think it's his nephew, grandson. Okay. Yeah, so it's not a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, so he was over the Dnipro mission um, in 2019, and so it was the middle of the pandemic, which was super like super strict in Ukraine, and he received revelations that the stake should be created here. So him and his counselors, they uh, counted all the numbers, all, uh, all the things necessary for uh, stake to be created, basically to apply the documents to the area presidency. And, um, they sent the papers to the Arab presidency and the Arab presidency said, guys, you're crazy. Like you don't meet physically in Ukraine, uh, in church buildings, you meet over zoom and uh, it's impossible that the stake could be created during such a hard pandemic situation. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, "Guys, I received the revelation. Um, I'm asking you to pray about it, and you will feel that this is what the Lord wants for this region right now." They prayed. Um, they felt the same. They sent the papers to um, the first presidency in Salt City the response was the same, what are you talking about? We are in the middle of pandemic. There is no way we will approve that. And the question was, could you please pray? Uh, So the first person prayed, they felt it's right. They approved it. So our stake was uh, created during the pandemic, which is already a miracle, big miracle. So, um, the stake was created in April, 2020. And at that time, uh, at that time I was working for a Czech company remotely and my, um, boss, my employer, he offered me, um, full relocation package for my family to Czech Republic from Ukraine to Czech Republic. So he's going to bring take all my family and bring to Ukraine, uh, sorry, to Czech Republic, and I'm going to be working there and I will move to Czech Republic and wow. my wife, we talked about it, we felt fine and we said, okay, let's, let's do that. And so, um, that time already was released from being a branch president so I had some small calling uh, in a district, um, and I wasn't really like worrying about uh, the church in Ukraine because I said, okay, God released me. Then my work is done in Ukraine. And so, um, I was about to go and, um, bring my papers, uh, for family visa to, Czech embassy in Ukraine on Monday. And on Saturday, uh, I was called as a steak present by, uh, the area present. Wow. So yeah.
0: Change of plans, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was a, like super big struggle for me. Uh, either I should accept such an important calling and serve the Lord. Or I am going with my family to Czech Republic and if I would, uh, reject the calling and, uh, go to Czech Republic with my family, I will be, I would be there and I, um, the war situation won't touch me for now because, uh, I should have been in Czech Republic right now with my family. Mm. But... And, I, and I
0: imagine at this point you'd already told your your uh, employer that you were planning on moving to Czech Republic?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, of course. And mm. um, the era present he was smart enough to first ask my wife whether she will support me in my calling. And only after that, after she said, yes, he asked me, will you accept the calling? So <laughs> he was <laughs> smart enough to first ask what my wife <laughs> thinks about that. And obviously, yes, obviously after, uh, two days of uh, big emotional and spiritual battle side of me, yes, of course we, I accepted this calling. And my wife was full supported, even though she was the very first person, uh, who like went badly to live in Czech Republic rather than mm. stay in Ukraine. But, uh, her faith is stronger than, you know, her desire to live somewhere else. Uh, and this is how I accepted this calling and, uh, ended up being here right now. Wow. Fascinating.
0: And, and so this is, this is a brand new stake. And so, uh, did, I, I would imagine with that you had to, you know, get the high council in place and, and it was probably a lot of work in the beginning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of work, a lot of meetings, a lot of trainings, a lot of, um, interviews, a lot of phone calls, but great error presidency, wonderful, um, Ukrainian seventies that were assigned to help me organize a stake call the high council, uh, high priests and organize, reorganize the branches, create the wards. So, uh, a big and tremendous amount of work was done, uh, with help of God and with help of people, uh, from the Arab presences. So yeah. Was wow. quite a bit. It took almost nine months to settle everything down, from the very beginning to the very end. Wow! And call then, everybody. yeah, I bet that's that's just a lot of work for
0: for any new stake. And and so maybe tell us about what when the Russian invasion happened. Like, what did? Uh, what was that experience like as a state president? Were you getting a lot of direction and phone calls from from the area the presidency, or, or did you have to make a lot of tough decisions? Or, I mean, ha, tell, unpack that story.
1: Ooh, a lot of things to tell you here. <laughs> so basically, um, in two thousand twenty, uh, we had. The same situation when Russians, they gathered a lot of troops, almost 200,000 people on the border with Ukraine, with the military equipment, with everything. And so we had the same feeling that something's going to happen. And so the Arab presidency was smart enough to teach us throughout the year about self-reliance and. Uh, asking to prepare the plans for evacuation, for being uh, ready to move to provide your families to prepare the food storage, the um, by necessary medicine and everything. So we were prepared that something is going to happen. So uh, before the war, the invasion actually like the uh, full invasion. We call it full invasion because the first invasion was back in 2014 yeah. when the Russians mm-hmm. occupied Crimea and the eastern part of Ukraine. So uh, on the 24th of February, when everything happened, uh, we were ready. Okay, uh, We weren't ready like for 100%, but 85% we were ready. And so the local bishops and branch presidents, they knew what they should do. Uh, we worked, um, super hard with, um, the home teachers, um, basically. And, uh, elders quorum presidency, early society presidency, and, um, they knew what to do, they were warned by us, we were prepared, so basically. Uh, Of course, a lot of phone calls to me, to my counselors, a lot of uh, people that are lost, that are like pleading for help, but majority of members were ready. So we did not have any big problem with, uh, you know, deciding what to do. Uh, The first priority was to evacuate families with kids from cities like Kharkiv because Russian tanks uh, already entered the city, actual city. So my father, he lives uh, almost in the end of the city. And so the Russian tanks were passing by the house. Uh, And so uh, we we needed, you know, to take care of um, people families and elderly people, so we evacuated them. Those people who wanted to stay, they stayed. And um, from that moment, everything was just, um, you know, you plan, you do it, and you just plan on go. And obviously, air presidency was extremely supportive. 24-7, we were on a Call with them, and um, they uh, gave us direction, spiritual and um, you know physical direction, what to do in terms of safety of the members. And financial help was extremely important from the church side, and church donated a lot of money, Uh, and church supported through fast offering funds uh, through some donation from, uh, former missionaries or former mission presence. So I had like tens of people, um, donating small amount of money, uh, to help the members and to those people who are in need. So yeah, we were prepared somehow. And this preparation helped us a lot to survive. Wow.
0: Wow. I mean, and I'm sure there will there'll, there will be books, uh, history books filled with, uh, these, these stories and experiences that happened there. So, but it just sounded like you did your best to prepare and, and help find what, where, what people needed help when and where. And, yeah. Right.
1: One, yeah. One story, one miracle story. One of the biggest like miracles in my life, what happened. So, um, I'm in Dnipro city and there is a branch present in Kharkiv city, which is occupied. Uh, part of the city is occupied by Russians and people are still trying to evacuate families and kids, uh, people who were um, uh, left behind. And so church organized, um, some connection with, um, bus drivers. Private uh, people who owned big buses, and so um, there was an opportunity to buy a bus ticket, which was about hundred dollars per person, which is extremely expensive for Ukraine, um, if we're talking about period before the war. And so um, a branch president, he calls me and he says, uh, "Present, I need." Um, how much money was that? I think it was around $700 um, tomorrow uh, to pay for the tickets for two families to, for being evacuated on that bus. So at that time, um, in Ukraine, we have Ukrainian hryvna, which is the same as US dollars, but just grivna. This is our currency. And, um, so at that time it was 18,000 grivnas, which is about six or $700 at that time. And, um, we had this conversation at 6 PM, um, like of the evening and, um, tomorrow at 7 AM, the bus should leave, should leave the city. And that time drivers were working only with cash. Because banks were not working, well, they were working somehow, but they preferred uh, to use cash to accept cash. So only cash was possible to pay with cash. And that time, uh, in the ATM, ATM will give you only one thousand grivnas per uh, per day. So you're you're allowed to pull out like one thousand grivnas, which is forty dollars. Uh, and only in 24 hours, you can go to the ATM and pull out again another $40. And so I had this stake card, uh, church um, uh, stake card that we used to um, withdraw the money and to pay for church activities and other things. And so, um, of course, I have I had a lot of money um, available on that card, but it was impossible for me to withdraw 18,000 and plus transfer, transfer somehow to Kharkiv from one card to another card. So in Ukraine, the money transfer, uh, works much better and faster than in the United States, but the system is almost the same. Let's say I send you the money from your PayPal, um, like from my PayPal to your PayPal. So you receive them immediately and you can use it, but we can do it with our bank uh, credit cards like immediately. So um, um, I needed somehow to send the money to that branch present. So first of all, I have to somehow find $18,000, uh, $18,000 in cash, transfer to that branch present, and he should withdraw 1800 grimness sorry eighteen thousand with cash so it's impossible because the atm limit is 1000 mm-hmm. and so branch president said president i don't know how you will deal with it i have to get that money thank you bye and i, I was like okay what to do so i went i prayed to heavenly father this was uh the only time in my life when i um i did not like uh you know um how how to say it in english when you ask something you're required like give me like give me give me yeah so, like an
0: ultimatum maybe or
1: yes yes exactly thank <laughs> you so um i talked to father i said heavenly father you see my problem I, I have to have this miracle. It was almost like an ultimatum for Uh Heavenly Father that he must give me. Like, there is no choice. And I said, Heavenly Father, I need this miracle. I have to have 18,000 Grimnas and I have to transfer them. So we need this miracle. We need it. Like, I felt so bad because I, you know, put this (laughs) ultimatum in front of God, but Uh I was humble enough to like say. You understand my situation. I I apologize. I'm humble. But with, with all <laughs> humility of my heart, I'm asking you, give me this miracle. <laughs> yeah, wow. And so, yeah. And um, I grabbed my father, grabbed my dog, and we went on the street just to walk the dog. And uh, on the way, by walking with the dog, we uh, went to different ATMs so i pulled out one thousand grimness which is my daily limit and second third fourth atm they reject the card hmm. daily limit is over and so there is a fifth atm of, of like random very like very some creepy bank i don't know like i've never heard of that before the war yeah it's just like, uh-huh. you know some banks that are not popular at at all. And so I was like, oh, okay, come on, let me try it. And I try it and it gives me 5,000 P1 transaction. Oh, wow. I'm standing up there. I'm like, ah, it's a miracle. And my father was saying, yeah, hey, try again. And so I'm standing there and I'm like doing transaction after transaction. So that evening, I, I think I got almost like hundred thousand grivnas. From one ATM, I literally like robbed it. <laughs> <laughs> Just and I, I, and my father like, hey, we have to go because the station is dangerous. A lot of like uh, strange people walk in the street. A lot yeah, of and, robberies and now you have a lot of cash, right? That you're yeah, I have a lot of cash. Luckily, my father, my dog is with me, and uh, but I have like. lot of money so my father said hey we have to go like let's do it another time so and i have this big like stack of money (laughs) oh we can bring it home i bring it home and i'm saying heavenly father thank you for this miracle it just it's like it's unbelievable it's impossible that the ukrainian banking system they uh, provided this rule of daily limit for all the banks in Ukraine, all banks. So all banks have to like um, follow this rule. And so there is no way that I could find, but it was a miracle. And so I withdraw those money and I called the branch president in Kharkiv city and the branch president said, president, you know what? Um, Somehow we found the money here. Um, So those families, they said that they can afford pay for themselves, so I don't need you to send me the money right now. And I was sitting there at that time, that evening, and thinking how merciful our Heavenly Father is and how great is His um, love that He gave me this miracle to understand that um, I can almost, like, ask as... An ultimatum when like truly like miracles should happen because we we were trying to save lives. Yeah. We are trying to save lives, not just fun or some activity. No, we're saving lives during the war and it happens. And after that, I texted um, on social media all my uh, bishops and branch presidents about this bank. And I said, you have to go and find this bank, this ATM in your city, it will give you unlimited cash. And so they went and it was a huge miracle for all 10 branch presidents and bishops in Harkiv state because we were able to get a lot of cash and use for, um, church. Uh, yes. Yeah. For things wow. of members when, wow. when all <sighs> the people, all the people around us, they don't know about it you would see like two three hundred people like in a line trying to pull out money from one atm uh and it was just a miracle how heavenly father he gave this opportunity to get the cash because the cash is only valuable thing when banks are not working properly and during the war so it was a huge miracle it was a huge miracle and um, on the 24th of February, uh, when the uh, full invasion started, I was walking down the street. I, uh, I went, I ran to the local mall. I bought some food for my family, uh, just for the first few days. We had some food savings, but still, you know, it's better to have something fresh. Then I went to the ATM, uh, in hope to withdraw some cash for my family, for my personal needs. And I was walking and I was praying while I, I was walking, like in my mind. And I said, Heavenly Father, um, you can do wh- whatever you want with my life. Uh, I will do whatever you want and I will serve in any calling, but please do not let Russians take any city of Kharkiv Stake. And until now, after 10 months of the war, none of the cities from Kharkiv Stake is taken. So it's a huge miracle. Yeah. The Kharkiv Stake is fully, fully ours. Uh, and so, um. I did not feel any answer, or I did not receive any answer on that prayer about the stake. But I just—it was almost a deal with Heavenly Father, like do whatever you want with my life, but please leave the stake like full oppression, oppression, and do not let Russians to like take over some of the cities, like major big cities of Kharkiv stake, and it's. 28th of December and uh, Kharkiv Stake has its own cities and none of them were taken or fully occupied. So wow. Yeah. I
0: mean, miracle. there's just, you just got to live by faith and it's more, I mean, we all have to live by faith, right? But when you're in these, just this, these traumatic times of opposition and, and literally war, I mean, that, it becomes really r- real for individuals to rely on
1: on jesus and and heavenly father right and you know what's interesting um (laughs) it's really really um great moment of joy to know that people support you around the world so on the first and second and the third day of the full invasion of the war um i've got i don't know maybe 20 30 letters from different parts of the world from members that I've never met. and I don't even hear of them um, with the words of support. For example, wow. one of the bishops from uh, Mexico City in Brazil, he found my email uh, on the church system as a stake present, uh-huh. and he, he just emailed me. He said, President Michalovsky, I've never met you. You've never meet, met me but i just want to let you know that we pray for ukraine in brazil we fully support you and the members of uh my stake they uh support your stake so let us know if something is needed and so oh, i've on. got like tons of and tons of such letters uh, especially obviously from members from the united states because a lot of members of the church um who are in their 40-ish, 50-ish right now, they served twenty-three years ago in Ukraine. They were missionaries here. So they built the church here, basically. They were the first generations. So they supported. Um, but I was surprised of getting letters from Australia, Africa, some Ziv Papa countries, <laughs> South Africa, Brazil, Canada, like a lot of emails from people that I didn't know wow and that's then, awesome and besides that we've got a lot of uh, donations uh, like clothes and um military equipment helmets bulletproof vests uh, plate careers um some you know everything that is needed for uh, the war a lot of medicine and church done like tremendous job um organizing these volunteering uh, hubs in europe with members and helping with refugees so um church is amazing people are amazing they really and are yeah members of the church are amazing so uh, we survived a lot because of people from the church from different cons- c- countries of the world <laughs>
0: Yeah. That's inspiring. Well, and as, as I do with it, these, how I lead interviews, I had you send me a, a list of, of principles, of leadership principles that have uh, helped you in your leadership. And you've done a great job of, of covering most of them. The, the last one I wanted to ask you about is you can't freeze revelation. You have to act upon it immediately. What, uh, <laughs> what story comes to mind when, when, uh, when you
1: write down that, that principle. So I have one person It's just like a- True hero um, in my life. Like um, I'm not talking about Jesus Christ. I'm talking about like a human. <laughs> yeah, a mortal. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, like the mortal one. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, his name is York Klebingod. I don't think I have. What what what's his background? Um, so York Klebingod, he is from Germany. I think he. He spoke on general conference. He was one of the 70s in East European territory ten years ago. Then he served as a key of mission president back in 2012. Hmm. Um, Wonderful person, just like very inspiring. So he's um, a
0: he's a general 3070 now.
1: I'm not sure about now, but uh, oh, okay. back in in 2012. He was a mission president, and he served as a general authority in East European territories, and he moved with his family to U.S., where he was called. Oh, cool. Okay. In some church department. I don't know. But I know him because he was my brother's um, mission president. Oh, okay. Kiev. So my older brother, um, he served his mission uh, from 2011 to 2013 in Kiev mission and he was his mission present, And then when I was called in 2014 to serve my mission, he was in the area presence over my mission. So oh, he okay. came to teach us. Yeah. Yeah. And I just looked
0: him up and it looks like he just recently spoke in conference. Not to, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. this past one, right?
1: Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah
0: he, he looks familiar now. Yep.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, it's an amazing person. Like literally, um, I've never met him. Um no, I've met him a few times, so I was never around him a lot. But um when he taught us uh, on my full-time mission, the things he was saying, I just memorized them until now. So sometimes church leaders, they say something, and you catch that phrase, you catch that word. You catch that principle and immediately you remember it like until end of your life. And so he said, elders and sisters, you cannot freeze the revelation. You have to act upon it immediately. This was the life principle that he shared that gave him a lot of opportunities to serve and to achieve things that Lords wanted him to achieve. And so. The principle was that if Heavenly Father gives you some revelation, you have to act upon it immediately. And if you will not do that, uh, probably Heavenly Father will be tired of giving you revelation all the time if you don't act upon them, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, this principle is not uh, related a lot to the war in Ukraine this is like general life principles that i accepted as one of my you know foundation for my life for example um, i received a revelation that i have to marry my wife uh my girlfriend that time but is another one of the like millions of successful lds stories that i came home after my mission i met her we did not have money and I are a secret that I should uh, marry her, that everything could be fine. So I followed this relation. She received relations that she should marry me. And so <laughs> you just, you receive revelation, you act upon it immediately and then you see the miracles. And so, uh, yeah, it just nice principle that I've heard from Elder clipping God and yeah. so far, like 10 years past, almost 10 years past since I heard it and it's working perfectly in my yeah, It really life.
0: helps you take action, right? Before you second guess the, the revelation yeah. and whatnot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great, it's a great miracle.
0: That's cool. Love it. Well, you mentioned some things, you know, leaders from around the world reaching out and whatnot. And, and obviously there's, um, you know, there's governments that are, they're helping. And, and I know the United States is giving a lot of aid and whatnot to Ukraine and, and charities. And you talk about the the work that church has done, but what would you say to, uh, Latter-day Saints around the world? Like, how can we, how can we help? How can we pray for you? Pray for your country? I mean, what, what, uh, what could you teach us about ways we can support the Ukrainian people and the Latter-day Saints there?
1: Um, so obviously, obviously it's good to pray. It's good to pray um, for people, for Ukrainians, right? Um, I would say uh, the prayer is the most effective tool, of course. However, Another good thing that could really help is to find someone from Ukraine and maybe drop them a note or um be with them be in touch with them ask how you can help. Um I'm not saying donate some money. Obviously donate some money it's always good but you have to be careful with donating because a lot of scammers mm. are around. Yeah. Um even even among members of the church unfortunately unfortunately so yeah Uh, but i would say yeah just find someone from ukraine and support them through emails maybe some people they help um ukrainians move to the united states somehow they support them financially maybe with an advice Uh, maybe they help them to apply for a visa but i would say if we're talking about some basic things i would say the prayer and a personal note or a phone call would be the most effective um tools right now to support
0: awesome well that's really helpful and please know that we are praying for you and we hope that uh <clears throat> there will be some some blessings that come out of this in the long run and, and that the church can continue to thrive there in ukraine and with uh he, maybe more temples or you know definitely more stakes and wards and and uh so we're we're definitely praying for you. The last question I have for you uh is uh as you reflect on your time as a as a leader, how has being a leader helped you become a better
1: follower of Jesus Christ hmm. It's a good question It's a good question um, first of all, I realized that stake present. It's a great calling. Some people think that it's very scary calling or very hard calling. But if you um, serve with all your heart, um, obviously, it's a hard calling, because it requires a lot of efforts and time and prayer, physical, mental, emotional, um, you know, power, Uh, but it helped me to see how church really operates from the inside and how church helps, uh, people like in much bigger perspective, because I have much more information rather than, um, regular members of the church in my stake in Harkiv stake. So I see a bigger picture and I talk to every presidency more often. So this calling helped me to become, um, a better leader and better disciple of Christ in terms of, uh, understanding that the church is perfect. People are not perfect, but the church's organization is perfect. And, uh, I received a lot of witnesses and. Uh, testimonies that church as organization really was created here in the l- last days to prepare our errors for the coming for the second coming of jesus christ uh, because i see how church operates how uh, leaders communicate between each other i see how the first presidency is working how the area presidency is working Uh, Especially during such hard times and I just received another great and strong testimony about the church's organization that it's really the church of God and it's really um, operating through the Holy Spirit and through the humble servants of the Lord and so it just my testimony became stronger um, in all aspects of in all meanings <laughs> of it. And so um, I just realized how Heavenly Father, He loves us, that He gave us such a perfect organization for imperfect people. And um, through the church, through the gospel, through the atonement, we become better and we follow Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father. And eventually, being with Him in eternal life.
0: And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense and share it with somebody who could relate to this, this experience. And this is how we how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And, uh, that's, See if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, go to leadingsaints.org slash 14 to gain access to Rob Farrell's four-hour presentation at no cost. Visit leadingsaints.org slash 14.